1: Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday
2: edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Uh Aha, ha ha ha! Yeah! What it do?
2: what's going on welcome to episode number 752 of locked on raptors for wednesday july the 29th i'm your host sean woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. you can find me on twitter as always at woodley you can find the show at locked on raptors we can find links to every single episode of the podcast and of course Please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team focus shows covering all 30 NBA teams, I guess all 22 teams as they ramp up to the return. But the other teams, the Delete 8, are also covered as well as the hosts over there navigate uh, more time without their teams playing basketball. But they're doing a great job, so please go patronize Locked On Hornets or something. Throw them a bone, would you? Because they are in the dregs right now. But again, they're doing some great work over there. Of course, baseball is uh, up and running, too. We've got the uh, Blue Jays playing the Washington Nationals today, and Nate Pearson's Major League debut. Go listen to Locked on Blue Jays with A.J. Andrews as she'll break down Nate Pearson's first start, our beautiful young beef castle of a pitcher. Uh, All right, let's uh, get into today's show. On today's show, we're going to talk about the game the Raptors played against the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday, their final pre-restart scrimmage. Uh, all accounts, I did not see this game. I should pr- point that out to begin with. Uh, and By all accounts, it was not an exactly a compelling game. But there will still be things to talk about, I'm sure, as uh, it's kind of our job to find things to talk about when teams, when the Raptors play a basketball game, whatever, uh, how serious it is, whatever the stakes are. And so joining me today is our Phoenix game correspondent, as someone who did watch it, as I was calling C E B L action on CBC Gem, tune in tonight as the Hamilton Honeybatters take on the Edmonton Stingers, uh, as I'll be calling the game again at 7 p.m. Uh, but tonight uh, or today, we're gonna chat with Lewis Zatzman of Raptors Republic, who again watched that Suns game because so you didn't have to. Basically, Lewis, how's it going, buddy?
3: Hey, man! Thanks as always for having me. And uh, uh, nobody should have watched that game. I mean, horrible, horrible game. But certainly some things to take away from it.
2: Yeah, so let's get into that. You know, we start off these Game Recap Podcasts in the same way every time. Lewis, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors' 117-106 loss to the Phoenix Suns? I'm guessing the takeaway is this is over. The Raptors are failures and the season. What's even the point of starting it, correct? Yeah,
3: exactly. I mean, this is the, the final blow. No, I mean, they just they didn't want to be there. I mean, the Raptors want games to start. It was the loosest I've seen them since um, – do you remember that Orlando away game two years ago uh, when Kawhi was there? One, one year ago, I guess. Sure. And the Raptors just got washed by 30 or something in Orlando.
2: Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. This is that. what
3: that felt like. They were just totally disinterested. Um, Pascal, uh, OG both dribbled off their feet multiple times. No one really played like they wanted to be there at all. Uh, not, not a fun one to watch.
2: Yeah, for, so for sure, um, you know, was there anyone who did anything of particular note? I mean, we've talked a lot about sort of the main guys in the rotation who I think have all kind of shown out, um, you know, some decent performances from the likes of Norm Powell yesterday, six of 11, uh, Pascal was six of nine and four or five from downtown. you love to see that. Um, anything from this one? I'm guessing the answer is probably a hard no, but is there anything from this one that uh, you, know, you think means anything when it comes to what the rotation construction might look like once we get into real games on Saturday?
3: A couple things. So one thing is Nick Nurse is really riding those giant lineups. Uh, he started the second half with the traditional starting lineup, Fred and OG. Um, but the actual starters of the game, OG was on the bench. Serge Ibaka was in the game. And, and Nick Nurse has played Gasol, Abaka, and Siakam together a huge amount this pre-season, I mm-hmm. guess preseason, this scrimmage season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so having those three bigs, uh, sometimes with the two point guards, Fred and Kyle, sometimes with uh, OG also there playing shooting guard, it seems like the Raptors are going to want to use that massive lineup a little bit more often, maybe just until the team has its legs underneath it. You know, uh, when you're not, uh, when you're still rusty size can you know help ameliorate that but it seems like that could be something we see more of when games start mattering.
2: yeah uh, I'm fascinated by the big lineup it's like really fun and kooky and weird and kind of runs counter to everything but they can get away with it in a lot of cases just because everyone on the floor can shoot and I think Sir Ibaka is a good enough and mobile enough defender to at least hang with a, with a four who might be a little bit bigger um, in particular, how did it look? I, I mean, I'm looking just at the box score and trying to infer things here. It looks as though Macal bridges and cam Johnson were sort of the three, four starting for the suns yesterday and both played quite a, quite a few minutes. Uh Macal bridges with 26 points on 10 of 12 shooting and four or five from downtown. Was that in any way a byproduct of the Raptors big lineup and maybe Serge Ibaka kind of being a little bit overexposed with a small guy, a nominal wing playing the four. No, I, I don't think so. I think, when the Raptors big lineup does play a guy like Mikhail Bridges is exactly
3: the type of opponent you want to use it against. I mean, he's a great player, really talented defender, and he has shown a little bit more finishing and driving chops in the bubble. So he certainly improved. It seems like during the uh, season suspension, mm-hmm. but he's the type of guy that I would be comfortable putting any Raptor center on, you know, when he and Ricky Rubio combined to shoot eight of 11 from three, that's life. Every ball bounced the wrong way for the Raptors yesterday. Um, Bridges hit some tough threes. He hit some open threes as well. But uh, no, I, I don't think the Raptors' big lineup would have any trouble against a team like that when the, when the games matter. Uh, and one one positive it did have was Gasol, as is his wont, really put DeAndre Ayton in the, in the doghouse. I mean, Ayton really <laughs> struggled against Gasol, as scoring centers do. Um, you know, Gasol going back to his ways of just making offensive centers his children is, is good to see.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there was maybe a little bit of concern that a slimmed-down Gasol would be less able to handle the brick shithouse centers of the world. And <laughs> if DeAndre Ayton is nothing if not that. And it's nice to see, um, you know, I, I was just like, you know, watching the the CBL game and, and just kind of seeing the tweets come in about Gasol just punking Ayton. And I just felt at ease. I felt warm inside. Um, because few things give me as much joy as watching him stonewall a really good offensive center, which, again, DeAndre Ayton very much is. He's got his own issues, but um, Duke can score buckets, and uh, apparently only uh, when Marc Gasol is not on the floor. Um, we're going to continue on here and uh, dive into a whole bunch of different angles of this game, and more just so just sort of overall takeaways of the first three scrimmage games, and I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the big lineup and some certain matchup machinations of that in just a second. But first... I want to tell you about Axios. Start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. Go check out that podcast called Axios Today once again. Today's podcast is also brought to you by My Bookie. Say with me now, sports are back, baby. You've been waiting for this day since March. And now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind as well, and that is My Bookie. My Bookie is a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it, you love it, and that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My Bookie has up to minute up to the minute odds on all your favorite teams. And with the start of the NBA just around the corner, as well as baseball starting last week, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, and they pay you. Feeling good about your team's chances this year? Be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series Futures Bets, for example. Nothing shows you believe in your squad like betting on them before the season's even begun. But why stop with baseball? Smart bettors are always looking towards the future. And in this case, that, of course, means basketball, hockey, and football too. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring. The world of online sports betting join today and my bookie will match your deposit 100 plus they'll toss you a free 10 dollars mlb future wager as well all you got to do is enter the promo code locked on nba when signing up remember at my bookie the terms are simple you bet you
0: win and they pay this is jake from locked on Sometimes you and I need that kind of support too. think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Lewis, uh, let's continue on here talking about the Raptors scrimmage. I want to circle back to
2: the big lineup thing. This is something that I've been really sort of curious about. And, you know, we've seen it used. Once in a while, we saw it used against the enormous Sixers last year. And I've kind of talked about this a little bit on previous podcasts, but it's worth coming back to again. I'm really curious, and I'm wondering what you think about the idea of Nick Nurse using this big lineup as sort of a way to – put another team on its heels. And I'm thinking particularly about the Boston Celtics in a potential second round series where, you know, they have a lot of ball handling wings. They're small by design. You know, they often play Marcus smart at center and that's often their best lineup with their wings and, and Kemba Walker in the lineup as well. And I wonder, you know, I think a lot of the times in the past that I think Raptors fans are conditioned to this, even from the Dwayne Casey years still of, you know, the Raptors often sort of adapting to what other teams are throwing out there and sort of trying to match up. Whereas, you know, if the Raptors can play a big lineup and do it better than anybody else, why not just go with that? It's kind of the idea, I think, of the Warriors when they would roll at the death lineup and other teams would try to go small, but they just didn't happen to have all the good players that the Warriors had and it was impossible to match up with them. And because I think the sort of importance of centers and bigs in particular has kind of gone out the window for a lot of teams – I do wonder if you put your best players on the floor, you put your your biggest, you know, meanest defenders out there, and then you just kind of say, all right, I dare you to beat us now, Boston Celtics or whatever it is. Do you think that's something we'll see from the Raptors, or do you think this is going to be reserved for big matchups, like potentially the Bucks if they have one of the Lopez's at center and Giannis at the four, or, uh, you know, the Magic, you know, because they kind of tend to skew pretty big as well. Uh, do you think this is something that, could work against Boston in particular, or would you rather just see them kind of match up and go small?
3: No, I do. I do think it could work. It won't be something we see every game against Boston, and I think it's it's one of those like single game adjustments for two minutes or something. But uh, but the reason why the Raptors will use it as a as a proactive weapon, I think, rather than a reactive weapon this year, is because a lot of the developments that happened from last year to this. So. Uh, OG Ananobi is a much more confident and capable uh, driver when defences are rotating. Pascal Siakam is one of Toronto's best initiators this year, which was not true last year. Um, And Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol both remain uh, quite capable and confident post players, especially against the small. And when people talk about the death of post play, what they really mean is the initial shot out of the post. And a lot of the reason why that happened is because uh, a lot of illegal defense rules went out the window, and now teams have very creative ways to double or attack post-ups, which, don't mean po- which means post-ups rarely result in um, that one-on-one shot. But they are still quite productive uh, for passing out of post-ups. I mean, post-ups, when you include passing out of them, are still really efficient ways to generate offense. And if a guy like Marc Gasol or Serge Ibaka or Pascal Siakam has a six-six-six-five wing on their back in the post, I mean, that'll be a really efficient shot for Toronto every time because you're either giving up a short hook or you're sending a double and Toronto will have to swing it around the horn and get an open corner three, hopefully. So I think it is something Toronto will use. I think it will be better this year than last, although it probably won't be something you see in every game, for example, in that mm-hmm. series.
2: Yeah, I guess my concern with it, it, kind of like I mentioned in the first segment talking about Mikel Bridges, is, you know, Gordon Hayward has had his issues, obviously, the last couple of years. But if he's their nominal four or Jason Tatum or whoever it is that is, you know, technically their four, you know, having Serge Ibaka kind of chase that dude around feels like maybe overextending Ibaka just a tiny little bit. Like, I think offensively they'll make it work and I think they'll, they'll bludgeon on the boards and things like that. I mean, Boston's a bad rebounding team as it is you throw out your, your three biggest players, and you're probably going to have a pretty significant advantage there. But I do kind of worry a little bit about the ability of Ibaka to kind of, on every single possession, get out to the perimeter and you know be able to trail one of those guys around. Because the matchups do become a little bit tricky. If you have like Marcus Smart at center, yeah, sure, you throw Gasol on him or whatever it is, um, and you can probably make that work, and you dare Marcus Smart to shoot, even though he's been much better this season. But then you have, you know, it, it just... You get a little bit tricky in terms of where you're trying. You can't really hide a Baca anywhere, right? Like, there's not another guy on the floor where it's like, okay, yeah, you're just going to stick him on a Tony Allen type. Like, everyone can handle the ball. Everyone can shoot. Everyone can run a pick and roll. And I do kind of – again, I think a a Baca is like a good defender, a mobile guy, but I do think that could be a bit of a sort of chink in the armor that a team would try to expose if they are going small against the Raptors' big lineup.
3: Yeah, the defensive end is where it gets a, a slight bit trickier, but size always helps defense. And what the Raptors did, for example, against Portland, who started two nominal centers, um, was Serge Ibaka guarded Yusuf Nurkic, uh, who is who is Portland's center, and Marc Gasol took Zach Collins, who is more of right. a power forward. Toronto is, is a little bit more comfortable with Marc Gasol scampering around the perimeter, and they want Serge Ibaka's blocking as close to the rim as possible. Mm-hmm. So... In the specific Boston example, uh, I, I mean, does Marcus Smart play center on offense? Like, is he setting screens and lurking around the dunker spot? Because then, I mean, I'm happy to put Serge Ibaka there. Marcus Smart loves taking pull-up threes. I mean, put put Ibaka there to sort of contest with his length and see what happens, right? Like, I, I think Smart would be a good matchup for Ibaka.
2: Certainly, yeah. I mean, it's one of them good problems. They have a lot of good players and they can play a bunch of different styles and a bunch of different sizes. Yeah. And like you're, you're always going to have something to counter with, right? Like if it doesn't work for five possession, it's not like they're married to a bucket at the four. They just slide Pascal down and just kind of go back to the regular sort of setup. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm curious to see. I'm fascinated to see exactly how that will all come together in terms of the big lineup. Because yeah, I'm surprised even myself about how much nurse has gone to it and i guess we shouldn't be surprised by nurse getting experimental and weird in games that don't matter because you know that is the nick nurse thing to do and why wouldn't he do that but it is uh know, it's just it's different and uh, i'm you know we saw a glimpse of it last year in the playoffs in a particular matchup and it may have saved the series and so it's always going to be tempting to think about going back to it just because it, it, it was successful, and there, has, there is that sort of track record. And I also love big lineups. Get weird, man. Like, go against the grain. <laughs> I, uh, if you can do it, why the hell not? I mean, there's all this talk of small ball in the NBA, but small ball wouldn't be a thing if every player on the floor was seven foot tall and could handle the ball and defend, right? Like it, it's Exactly. You want to have – it's skill ball more than anything, and it just happens that smaller guys tend to be more skilled. But if you have big guys who are skilled and can shoot threes and all that stuff and trail it to the perimeter to, to defend – then uh, that should be probably the way you go. Because as it turns out, being tall still helps a lot when you're playing basketball. Um, On that note, I want to dive into something else uh, here, Lewis, just quickly. So, uh norm powell had a nice game yesterday he's looked pretty sharp i think in the lead up i mean he's looked great all season long there's uh there's really been nothing to complain about norm powell's game our pal vivek jacob tweeted about this last night uh and sort of mentioned a million times before getting to the point uh that fred van vliet noji ananobi are very very good and probably deserve to be in the crunch time lineup but norm powell maybe also does like he's his offense is incredible. He is just like an instant bucket in transition. His three-point shooting obviously is outstanding. A 40% shooter over the last two years. That is a huge asset to have, even on a team where everybody's a very good shooter. Like Norm, I think, might be the guy who I trust most right now taking threes. Um, I, I'm just curious, Lewis, in terms of the sort of construction of those late game lineups. we've talked about this a little bit and look, sorry, we're repeating talking points here in the scrimmages. It's, it's preseason for us as well. And a lot of this, I think as Nick nurse pointed out, like we're just bored. We want to get to the thing. So we're going to rehash things. Um, But I like to get different perspectives on it as well. So yeah, Lewis, where does Norm slot in here? Do you think he finds his way into the closing lineup? You know, we talked last week with Brad Vermont about this before any preseason games were played. And we've seen the preseason games now. Norm's looked incredible, and his case to get in that closing crunch time five seems to be getting stronger by the day.
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, uh, I think there are times when Norm could supplant either a Fred Van Fleet or OG Ananobi, but I think it's a contextual thing, and Fred and OG should probably be closing more often. Uh, Norm deserves to close. That's just the reality. I mean, he's fantastic. He is a very good defender too, uh, but it just so happens the Raptors have five guys who are probably offer a little more closing. So OG and you need his defense. He is just, I think he is Toronto's best defender, um, particularly against those big wings. If not him, then Fred uh, would be Toronto's best defender. And those are the two guys who Norm could be supplanting. So uh, it's a complex issue. And in some circumstances, say, for example, Uh, You know, Fred has been matching up with the bigger guy and and his sort of get in your shorts defense hasn't worked as much or say OG OG Ananobi's uh, shot is off and he's hesitant to drive in either of those cases, then yes, maybe Norm does close. But generally, I think it's really hard for him to see the court in those situations.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, again, it'll be matchup based and I think, you know, if Fred struggles with size against a certain matchup like he did last year, he could certainly find himself on the bench for those closing minutes. But again, one of them good problems. The Raptors have many, many good players. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice thing to be worried about and fretting about it. Oh no, my arms are overflowing with all these guys who could potentially close games. What what <laughs> yeah. am I to do? Um, we're going to wrap things up. I'm going to throw uh, a Lewis a curveball question in the final segment. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but first, I I just want to remind people to make sure you're checking out all the Locked On shows covering the teams the Raptors are playing. In particular, Locked On Lakers with Anthony Irwin comes out on uh, every day. Of course, it's Locked On Podcast. It's daily. Uh, make sure you're listening to Locked On Lakers before the Raptors take on the Lakers in their first game of the restart on Saturday evening. Uh, Lewis let's wrap things up here we've been kind of going through the last couple weeks just sort of asking pressing bubble questions for the Raptors ahead of the return here Uh, we've talked about the bench guys and sort of how they slot in we've talked about the half court offense and how it's going to hold up I want to ask you what is your biggest sort of outside of those two things what is your biggest sort of question about the Raptors that you're uncertain about that you want to kind of see answered either in these eight games or once the playoffs get started as we gear up for the restart here Oh, that's no curveball. You, lo- you lost your pace. That's an easy one. <laughs> it's preseason, man. I'm still getting the spin rate.
3: <laughs> so to me, I mean, the Raptors are a lot of answers. They Their questions are minimal. We know who they are. They know who they are. So to me, the big one um, is, does Terrence Davis play when the game's met? Right. Uh, he has been so phenomenal and his just, the Raptors win when he's been on the floor with other starters or with starters. Uh <clears throat> McCaw has a nagging injury. We, we don't know what it is. Um, When McCaw comes back, which is supposed to be soon, uh, does Terrence Davis take his minutes? We don't know. Does McCaw slot right back into that eighth man role? Um, Raptors, Twitter, Raptors media, all favor Davis. Nick Nurse favors McCaw. We've talked about it to death, but I think Davis uh, he's just played so confidently. I mean, His his stat line against the Suns was not good, but he played with a lot of confidence. He played well. Nick Nurse complimented him after the game, despite scoring two points with four turnovers. It was still a good game for him. And uh, I would like to see Davis slot into the rotation.
2: Yeah, uh, I think we've talked about that ad nauseum on this podcast. He's better than Patrick McCaw. Play him. Uh, he's, he's really, really good. Um, on that note, I'm kind of curious. You know, I, I think we've all kind of established the pecking order of the rotation. It's the top seven guys that are trusted that may only be the seven guys that play when things really, really matter against very good yeah. teams. Um, then you've got the Davis McCaw sort of conundrum as your fourth guard. And then you've got Boucher and Ronda Hollis. Jefferson as kind of your, you know, 10 and 11 in terms of the, the sort of pecking order on the roster, and the, you know those guys will get their minutes here and there. I'm sure we'll see different guys sort of slot in um, depending on the matchup. I would imagine, like uh, if I was to bet, I think probably we see more Rondé just because his defense is a little bit yeah. more reliable, and you can throw him on like the the other team's best wing, and hopefully he can kind of take some possessions there to take the burden off some other guys. But I think, after those I think guys, we'll see, sorry, go ahead. I think we'll see more Rondé than either Terrence Davis or Patrick McCaw.
3: To be interesting, fair. I think Rondé is the eighth man.
2: Interesting. I don't know if I agree just because they have a lot of dudes on in the front court already. And like they, like they play Rondé
3: at point guard, man. He just, Rondé (laughs) does anything. I mean, I, I agree.
2: I would rather Terrence
3: Davis take the eighth man, but it seems like the Raptors want Rondé on the floor.
2: That's interesting because like, I feel like if we, and I talked about this yesterday, like if we learned anything, about the Raptors, it's that they value having no liabilities on the floor. And Rondé, while not certainly a liability on defense, his lack of shooting and just sort of his general aptitude for falling down on offense kind of feels like it might slot under the liability category. But, I mean, I I suppose the defense is good enough and, like, his sort of playmaking as, like, a secondary guy is okay enough that maybe you can get away with it. I just – that – I would be – not, not exactly pleased, I don't think, if he ended up being like the eighth guy in terms of total minutes play, just because, like, I love Rondé. I love everything he's done. He's very fun, but he gives me the damn, like, the willies whenever he's out there because I'm scared he's going to fall and uh, ruin a possession at any, mo- at any moment. Here's a stat for
3: you. When Rondé played center, so or when Rondé was on the court without Gasol or Ibaka, with neither of those two there, one-fifth of every opponent's Possession turned into a turnover.
2: One fifth tops in the league. Interesting. Twenty percent. Yeah, he's very good at defense. <laughs> he's a, he's a maniac. He he fits the maniac ethos of everybody on this team defensively. So um, yeah, I, I mean, and I guess if we're sort of looking at the things that might keep Terrence Davis off the floor, he's not a liability offensively, but defensively, he can be. He can be a little bit too jumpy, and he can be kind of the weak link. So you he know, if can dig
3: in too though. I mean yeah. he has oh certainly really
2: high highs. Yeah. It's uh I'm just thinking it's of things tough, that huh? piss off Nick Nurse. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, and that will yeah, Davis's defense can do that also.
2: Yeah, I think like a Davis like ill-advised foul is probably more infuriating to Nick Nurse than Ronde trying his darndest and then falling down and turning it over on offense. So yeah. Maybe that's the that, maybe that's the equation there. I was gonna ask you though Lewis before we wrap up here, just sort of in terms of guys at the back end, you know, Paul Watson got some run yesterday. Matt Thomas, uh, Dewan Hernandez, we've seen a little tiny bit of. Do you envision any of these guys sort of moving up in the pecking order here? Maybe passing like a Chris Boucher or Patrick McCaw or even Terrence Davis in the rotation? Or have they not done enough in these three games? And maybe they should never have been expected to do enough. I'm just kind of curious your impressions on the end of bench guys and if anyone's kind of popped to you. Paul
3: Watson seems to have moved up in the ro- rotation ahead of O'Shea Brissett. Not... You know, not the playing rotation, but he's played really well. Yep. Uh, I think Matt Thomas will play in playoffs and not garbage time. He'll probably play like six minutes over the course of a series, but he will play. I think. Um, just his shooting is—he's the best shooter on the team, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, he is so good at shooting, and that that will come in in handy. But no, I think you know you and I are sort of digging in the in the trenches here. But the reality is you know, 99 out of the 100 questions of this team are set and we're just waiting for the stuff to start.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, again, I apologize if we're rehashing talking points here, but uh, it's three scrimmages in. We're ready for actual games. Life is too short for preseason, even in a restart. Uh, and I mean, I have a feeling that these eight games are going to more resemble preseason games than like high stakes NBA games in like the heat of the season anyway. So probably in line for a lot more of it, but there's plenty of things to talk about. Very fun and interesting team that we will continue to cover extensively here on the podcast uh, just a heads up later in the week, we're going to have Sabrina Merchant from SB Nation on, on Friday to tee up the Lakers game. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, we'll figure out what we're doing tomorrow, but that's going to end the show for today, Lewis, Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find your work and uh, what are you working on right now?
3: Man, love it. I'm uh, so I write at Raptors Republic. You can find me at Twitter, Lewis Zatzman. Uh, I'm also covering a ton of CBL stuff. You are as well. Wrote a piece for the CBC. Have a couple more cool ones in the works for other outlets. CBL is fantastic, man. If you're going to check any any league out right now that's not the NBA, CBL is just so much fun.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a blast, and uh, again, you can listen to me on CBC Gem uh, with Javon Shepard, uh, former and future guest of this podcast. Uh, we uh, did the games last night, and we were doing the game tonight between Hamilton and Edmonton. That features uh, Dwayne Notice, uh, Raptors 905-er. Ryan Schmidt, of course, former guest of the podcast, is a, the head coach of the Hamilton Honey Badgers as well. Xavier Moon, a former Raptors 905 camp guy who is incredibly fun, plays for Edmonton too, and lots of uh, good Canadian Lads, as well from national team experience and all that kind of stuff so please uh consider tuning in to cbc jam tonight at seven i know nate pearson's debut is exciting and all but uh this is more exciting i can promise you that and you get to hear my voice again which apparently you like so um uh, that that's the selling point i suppose Lewis, this was great, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe to, rate, review this podcast wherever you get to your podcast. It's much appreciated when you do that. Also, make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Lockdown Podcast Network catalog, including another league, which you should definitely be watching right now, the WNBA, uh, which is going on right now. And Lockdown Women's Basketball is into its first week of its reboot with a wonderful lineup featuring Gabe Ibrahim, Amy Audibert, who you know from Raptors 905 broadcast and CEBL broadcast as the sideline reporter, Eric I Uh, Lindsey Gibbs, Howard Megdahl. It's an all-star lineup of hosts over there hosting Locked On Women's Basketball. So please go and check that show out as well. That's going to do it. We will talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked On Raptors.